0: Welcome to the Saturate Podcast. My name is Brad Watson. Today's episode is really great. We're going to have Bob Roberts, who is famously passionate about the global church and hard to reach places. Uh, he's an encourager to many. Uh, if you're not familiar with his work, I recommend that you do. Uh, we also have Ben Connolly, uh, leader of our training, equipping, church planting residencies with Soma and Saturate, and Jeff Vanderstelt, pastor at Doxa Church in Seattle, also founder, visionary leader for Saturate. Uh, They're gonna be talking about the decentralized church and lessons that we can learn from a global movement of the church, especially in this season of quarantine and where it feels like many things are shifting and changing. Great episode, great conversation. It was a webinar that we did a few weeks ago. And so we wanted to share that with you guys, our podcast audience. Before we jump into that, I just wanna explain something about how Saturate works. Saturate, the primary way that we exist uh, is actually through people becoming members of Saturate. Our membership program, it's a monthly or annual fee. Then you get access to hundreds and hundreds of digital resources. Everything that we've ever created, you have access to. Also, hundreds of hours of video content, training, equipping. It's so such a deep well of resources. If you're leading missional communities, if you're leading uh, communities in your church, if you're leading a church, everything from transition stuff to gospel fluency to missional communities to basic evangelism, basic missional living, uh, there is just a huge plethora of resources, children's resources, the whole thing highly recommend that you check that out and that's how we exist as saturated people becoming members and that counts for a large uh, portion of our sustainability as an organization and so if you've been listening for a while and even if you've been thinking i really want to move forward in a lot of this stuff you should know there are so many resources at your disposal so much more than just what we offer for free on our website it's high quality our best stuff from our decades of learning and making disciples in the everyday stuff of life uh, is all at your disposal so make sure you check that out go to saturate click on memberships you'll find out more about the pricing you can try it out for free for a month it's kind of like netflix in that way uh, but highly recommend you at least check it out and without anything else to say let's jump into today's episode
3: All right, well, we are going to go ahead and start the conversation. We're going to be on here for about an hour, and so we want to make sure and uh, honor folks' time so other folks can jump in as they can. But we are going to start this Saturate webinar on decentralized discipleship. So uh, my name is Ben Conley. I get to host on behalf of our Saturate team. Um, And so if you haven't been with us on a webinar before, and and we'll remind you in the chat, but We'll do uh, some guided conversation with, uh, with our panelists for the first half or so, and then we'll take your questions uh, for the second half. And so feel free to post questions in the chat. Um, there'll be other things that I'm sure are sparked uh, that you're welcome to post uh, just as, as they come up. and we'll, we'll at least try to tackle some of those. I can't promise we'll get to all of them. But we're going to be talking about uh, this very timely topic uh, that we're terming decentralized discipleship. Across America, across the world, churches and leaders and everyday followers of Jesus are feeling the, the need uh, for decentralized discipleship in a more overt way. Um, I don't think the need is any more common than it ever is, but we're feeling the need. Um, uh, we're feeling the need in a more more specific way uh, for mission and ministry and discipleship to happen at home and in smaller groups and across Zoom and in everyday life more than large gatherings and buildings and events. So I want to introduce these guys. Some of you know them, but others don't. Uh, for, for me personally, this is really fun. I've gotten to do writing projects with both these two. And I think this is the first time that three of us have, have done something like this all together. And so uh, Jeff Vanderstelt is, is in Seattle, Bellevue area. Uh, he's a vision pastor for Doxa Church. He's the founder and visionary leader for the Soma family of churches for Saturate uh, and he's been an experienced practitioner of decentralized discipleship and missional community for uh, I mean specifically decade and a half, two decades, but really for, for a lot of his ministry even before that. And then Bob Roberts is uh, here with me, a couple a couple miles north on the highway in Fort Worth, Texas. Uh, he's, he's just transitioned to be a global senior pastor. Global, yep. global apostolic evangelistic senior pastor for all sure. the world. <laughs> uh, he's at Northwood Church here in the Fort Worth area. Uh, he started Global Net and does a lot of work with interfaith and multi faith conversations as well. A uh, great practitioner of, of decentralized discipleship too, and and especially Bob, more than more than Jeff, I for sure have spent a ton of time and learned with churches from around the world who have existed without large gatherings for for decades. Um, so, hi both. Thank you for being here. Yeah, I'm going to pray and then we will dive right in. So, Father, uh, thank you for the opportunity to, uh, to to gather from all parts of the world. I saw Portugal pop up across and all parts of the uh, U.S. and beyond, Lord. I thank you. I thank you that uh, you have called and equipped your people for discipleship and ministry and mission. Um, I thank you for your church and its various forms. I thank you that it's existed in different ways throughout history. Um, and I pray for church leaders and I pray for Christians who are navigating a different way that the church, uh, the church lives right now. Um, I pray that this conversation will serve them, not just for a COVID-19 reality, but that you might spark something, uh, plant some seeds that'll bear fruit for everyday discipleship, decentralized discipleship for years to come. Um, what do you use this season and this hour for that, for your glory and by the power of your Spirit, Amen. All right, so three of us are just going to have some conversation. So uh, may talk over each other, may you know rebuke each other, whatever. It'll it'll be fine either <laughs> way. So, but let's start here. Discipleship as a concept as a concept uh, can mean different things to different people. So just to get us all on the same playing field, maybe have one of you define discipleship just so we can lay a, a baseline for our conversation. So, what is discipleship?
2: The way we, de- we define it is basically leading people to be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and do what Jesus did. Uh, that's kind of how we define it. So the, the nature of it is leading them to increasingly, increasingly submit all of life to his lordship and his empowering presence in order to do that. Those three things, be with, become like, do what he did.
3: Be with him, become like him, and do what he did.
1: Okay. Mm-hmm. So I would say for us, an old missionary, help me define it. Uh, we call it hear and obey. For us, that's, that's uh, you hear God's voice and do you obey him. So I, I'm going to give you fair warning, Ben. You don't know this, but my little three-year-old grandson lives with us. And he loves <laughs> to run through the house naked. I'm trying to block the glass doors. If Y'all see my three-year-old running naked through the house. There's nothing I can do about it. You're covering so well. I, uh, I know. So I tried to do this hear and obey. Luke, if you'll do this then granddad's going to do that. It ain't working. So how do we do that with everyday followers of Jesus? Hear and obey. Yeah.
3: And sometimes it's about as hard as trying to stop a three-year-old from running naked through your house. <laughs> <laughs> and sometimes we we are the proverbial three-year-old who don't want to hear and obey. Um, but yeah, it, implicit in both those definitions, it's, it's a lot of life. It's not just a, an hour learning more. Jeff, you said submitting all of life to the Lordship of Jesus. Bob, you said hear and obey. That's essentially the same thing. So we're talking about we're talking about a much bigger all-of-life pursuit, being with Jesus, looking like Jesus, doing what Jesus did, that involves far more than just some, some head knowledge for once a week. Um, so with that as a, as a launching point, Bob, why don't you give us a little bit of a taste of how you've seen that play out globally, how you've seen decentralized discipleship play out?
1: Well, it, it's very much a part of my life. You know, Ben, asking me to do uh, this webinar, I started making a list of people that I've discipled and am discipling around the world. And here's what's crazy. I've never done that. I just have these friends that I talk to on Zoom, and I have for years, or Skype, or something else. But I remember the first time I led somebody to the Lord that wasn't supposed to accept Christ, and you know, it was one of these people in the world they would never follow Jesus, but they did. But they lived in a very difficult country where Christians are persecuted, and so basically. Uh, What I did was I got them a Bible and I had them start reading through the Bible and I knew another Christian in that area. And so that Christian would meet with them once a month and begin to pour into them. And that may not sound like much, but there were reasons why that's the most they could meet. Right. So once a month, they would do that. I would get on a Skype call and we would pray together. They would share what was going on and, and I would encourage them. and. That person now has small groups all over this country. And here's what's crazy. I didn't teach them how to do small groups. They started living their faith, naturally leading people to the Lord. They started doing with others what I was doing. So then I started reading about how you use small groups to to disciple people and share. I, I think also one of the things that's critical, not just that vantage point, but another guy that I poured into his life was in another country in another part of the world that was very sensitive and how he became a believer is a phenomenal story. I just, I I won't share with you right now, but he started reading the Bible on his own. And then he had a way of emailing me questions about that. And the next thing you know, his whole family accepts Christ, Uh, not in a very, evangelical, pray the prayer kind of a thing, but they begin to follow Jesus. And and to see that happen was just incredible. And I, I was worried about it because I couldn't get anyone to him. I mean, there was no way in the world I could get anyone to him. So what was I going to do? And so the good news is the Holy Spirit and the New Testament really is enough. And that guy has a phenomenal ministry in his country. So all the training that we think about doing didn't happen for years. None of it. Which which leads me to this one other story, and then I'm going to shut up and we go back and forth, Jeff. Another friend of mine who became a believer, and I've worked with him, but he was a political person and was in prison for 15 years. He was in solitary confinement for three years was not a Christian, was not from a Christian nation, but literally in the jail cell, a bright light came and appeared to him. And the essence in that light said, I'm Jesus. And so he bows down, he gives his life to Jesus. I know that probably freaks some people out. And he starts treating his guard with respect that would push food in instead of cussing him out every day. And so the next thing you know This guy winds up being given a Bible and through the Holy Spirit and the Bible, which led me to something I'd never heard of in my life, because it goes against everything I understood about Western discipleship. He basically, I said, so how did you grow in your faith? You had no one to disciple me. He said, what are you talking about? Jesus discipled me. And Just let that sink in, because, you know, I've been to all these discipleship courses. That can't be. You know, somebody had to pour into him in that situation the Jesus, Jesus and the Holy Spirit were enough. And one of my spiritual fathers began to talk to me seven years ago before he died about and we're talking decentralized. Bob, you've got to get to a point where you disciple yourself. You know, you're busy discipling other people. You need to be discipling yourself. And since that time, that has rocked my understanding of discipleship, leaning more into the Holy Spirit leaning more into the bible that doesn't mean let's don't use people I, I think we should but sometimes that's a luxury and not everybody gets that luxury yeah
3: on that before jeff jumps in can you just give and and, and be sensitive i know some of the places you're working you can't talk about but it turns out the, the U.S. in 2020 is not the first time that a government has said churches can't meet on Sundays. Um, yeah. And so just to keep, give us a glimpse into maybe a couple of examples of how those, you know, you talked about people coming together and, and discipling. You talked about the guy who came to know Jesus has a great thriving ministry in his country now. Yeah. What, what does it look like for, for folks who can't come together on Sundays? What does discipleship look like?
1: Uh, I hate to say this, uh, because it's going to go against how many of us were raised, but the church explodes. First of all, you've got to understand there is no such thing as communi- uh, consumer Christianity there. You're deciding to follow someone that's going to cost your life. It's not like, wow, what a great kids ministry. I think I'll follow Jesus so my kids get moral education. They don't need that. It's very much small. It's organic. It's. I'm just going to be blunt. It's frightening. Because you don't know, you start talking to people about your faith. You don't know if that person that you just shared the gospel with is going to land you in jail. They view persecution as very different. It's an opportunity to connect us where people can talk about their faith. Uh, Right now in China, and this is also happening in India. Here's what's crazy. And Jeff knows this. He's been around the world. But the church is exploding around the world right now. Not in America. America. And yet we're the guys who go around the world telling the rest of the world how to do it. And so we've taken our Western Christianity and we've actually taken our viruses with us. So like right now in China, there was never such thing as bulldozing mega churches, But now they're bulldozing mega churches that have been built in China. And we're all upset about it. Chinese Christians, many of them are saying it's going to get us back to what we were. And the exact same thing is happening in India right now. They're following the cue from the Western church, and the problem with that is it makes for a great gathering, and I'm not anti-gathering, okay? But what it doesn't do, we know this, it doesn't make disciples. That's just a fact. If anything, it can it's like sugar substitute. It's just not the real thing.
3: Yeah, thanks, Bob. Um, Jeff, jump in. And so, rather than be the Westerners who who, who train maybe poorly, the rest of the world. Uh, what, what do you think we can learn as as churches doing this in the West? What of what Bob said can be applied here?
2: Well, I know you're gonna. We're gonna talk about the specifics as well. Of the situation mm-hmm. we're in. Um, yesterday, I was in a meeting with several uh, pastors that are part of uh, saturate the sound here, and um, <clears throat> we were talking about how this is. In some ways, this is a gift because it's uh, a reset, uh, in terms of like, what is most important. And the thing I keep saying to people is simplify, just keep simplifying the, the, the challenges we've, we've gotten so complex in our understanding of church that nobody can actually be and be, make disciples in it. Because it, even the, the concept of disciple is something far removed from the biblical narrative of what we see in Jesus. And so I think, um, You know, as we look at decentralized discipleship around the world, one thing that certainly we have to learn is, and I think that that's what Bob's talking about, is it really is as simple as the word of God, the spirit of God, leading someone to submit to Jesus and follow the spirit according to his word. It is that simple. And I think, you know, Bob's original definition there was just hear and obey is really quite simple. And so anybody can do that. And it doesn't matter how old uh, or young, uh, if if they have the word of God and the spirit of God. They have all they need um, <clears throat> now. Granted, we need relationships, and as over time, you know, we're going to learn new ways to engage them. But the thing that we've been saying here in Washington is, uh, in some ways, this is a real gift that God's given us because every one of our conversations is like this now, which means there's not a lot of distraction, uh, except for Bob's, you know, uh, grandson running around. But <laughs> <laughs> those are fun distractions. Uh, the, the, the reality is, we're we're face to face with people right now uh we may not like the idea that we're on a screen but we have the opportunity to look each other ideally in the eye or at least you know virtually in the eye and talk about the things that matter most and and we aren't distracted by all the other things that we often think church is all about so i think it's a real great opportunity uh we can talk about some things we're doing if you're interested in that but um but just i think you know I, i'd encourage everybody listening this is a gift um as much as it's painful and we don't like to be stuck inside this is a gift for the church to reimagine and really just get back to what discipleship is really all about.
1: By, by the way, Jeff, I don't know if you've heard this or not, but uh, we're getting reports and from different people monitoring church and what's going on. Uh, first of all, don't believe your attendance numbers. You know, people jump in and out. Everybody's going, "We had ten thousand people last week." No, you didn't. But you had a lot of people who stopped, stopped in, but the number one area that people are really connecting is their small groups through Zoom. Yeah. Every church that I've heard of that has a small group ministry is just going bonkers because people are tired of being alone. They're realizing it's community and, and their desire even to go back to church. It's not about the worship service. It's about, I want to see my friends. Yeah. Just let that sink in because people say, oh, you can't build groups or, or missional communities in in America. I so strongly disagree with that. I mean, you want to hear good preaching, you can listen to anyone you want. People do not go to a church, first and foremost, for good preaching. It may get them in the door, but it's community that keeps them.
3: And to your point, we've even seen a couple of groups start in the last couple of weeks, um, start online because they've realized the, the, the yearning for that. And, and you know, we, we, along with everyone else, did the, did the Sunday digital gathering kind of thing. But that yearning that you're talking about after about one or maybe two weeks, people are like, hey, that, that's great. We want to we have the teaching. But what we really are, are desperate for is that, that point of connection, uh, which I assume is a little bit of what you guys are trying, Jeff. What else?
2: yeah I, well I think one of the biggest things you know that we get to embrace is the priesthood of the saints that every single person is if they're a Christian, filled with the spirit and have all they need to not only be a disciple but make disciples, they ultimately don't need us. I mean, we can be helpful, we can equip, we can train, but at the end of the day if if they can embrace who God made them to be and step into it that I think we've got a great opportunity to see a movement happen in this in this season. And so I, I'd say to anyone, listening, you really gotta help people embrace the fact that they have what they need yeah. and they're called to step out right now and do something with that. And there's a variety of ways they can do that. You know, I know some people ask, how do you do evangelism in this context? It's like, it's not hard at all. Everybody's been interacting online for a long time before this happened. In fact, the majority of the people are interacting online and we could, say that, that was bad but god knew what he was doing so now we're ready and if they can like you know, a bunch of us this last week week you know leading up to, to easter did the hashtag jesus changed my life and we just encourage people start telling your story about how jesus changed your life send it out to all your friends on social media invite them to to listen in on the easter service ha- or have a conversation about jesus if they're interested and we had way more people probably share their story for the first time with non-believers and they than ever maybe in the history of our church at least and so or at least this region you know as we kind of try to track how many in this region we're seeing people uh share their you know their story so that's one thing is that immobilize the saints and encourage them to get creative and innovative i mean these are the moments where the church has to like think way outside the box and don't put it all on your leaders to figure it all out encourage the body to figure it out encourage them to be creative we're seeing people start different things that, like you said, new groups are getting started. I'm seeing new new initiatives getting started around how are we going to do ministry in this season? And what's beautiful is if no one's paying anybody to do it. <laughs> it's just the body of Christ learning how to be the, the part God made them to be. And so embrace the priesthood, empower them, encourage them to creatively join in with the Holy Spirit's work. O- you know, Open their mouths, share their story, write their story, whatever they can, get their story out to non-believing friends and then we're encouraging people just like care for your neighborhood you know walk the street pray for every house pray god opens doors obviously you have to stay on this side of the door uh but and then some are even like putting you know posting a note on the door saying hey if you need anything you need someone to do grocery shopping you need someone to uh like just talk to pray with whatever here's my number here's my conduct here's ways that uh i'm willing to serve and i'll be i'll stay safe and you know, wash my hands and keep my distance. But uh, just some of those ways are, you know, I mean, everybody, I'm meeting more neighbors now than I ever did before. And this is a very closed community, but it's because everybody's taking walks just to get outside and we're six feet apart. But we're saying, hello, how are you? And all of these doors are getting open. And so I'm sure that's true for everybody uh, if we'll just step into it.
1: You know, Jeff, what you were saying, you think about it, there are two things that are happening right now that you and I are passionate about. Number one, People are getting into groups. Number two, they're serving their communities. Even the mega giga churches. I mean, they have no credibility if they're not serving right now. Everyone is having to connect with the community because everybody's realizing if all you are is just a big worship service. I think when the church opens again from the virus, I think there'll be a rush back to the church. But I also think there will be a rush to redefine it. I think people are going to, right now, they're a little miserable. I think they're going to look back on this season and go, man, I wish we could get back to that. Remember when we all had to stay home and you were with your family? Remember when we met on those Zoom calls and you remember when our marriage was struggling and, and I met with one of the guys in my groups and we just sobbed over the phone. That's happening right now. I'm having grown men tell me, They have never been the father or the husband that they're being right now. I'm with you, Jeff. This can all work to our advantage. I think it's a moment because what it's doing, it's forcing people to be relational, even if it's on the internet. We're being more relational on the internet than we were being in person. Think about that. And we're figuring out ways to do things on the internet that we couldn't do otherwise. I love that.
3: I assume there's kind of a mix of everyday followers of Jesus and also church leaders on on the call. And we've, we've dabbled into some of this already, but, but one of the most consistent conversations I'm having with church leaders is like, how do I know what I'm supposed to do with my time now? Um, What is, what does my role look like? And, and, and maybe specifically, how do I, how do I know I'm leading well, if I can't be affirmed, if I can't see lights come on in people's eyes and that kind of stuff. And, and a lot of the answer revolves around what we're talking about is like, well, we're, we're really getting back to church leader roles of equipping the saints for the work of ministry. So what are you guys seeing? Like we mentioned a couple um, encouraging creativity, encouraging, you know, small connection, that kind of stuff. What are some other ways that the church leaders that are, that are watching listening uh, can, can think through just tangible, how do I equip people and what am I equipping them to?
1: I would add family. Hmm. I think family ministry, holistic family ministry. I don't mean, Here's youth ministry, here's kids ministry. Here's what's really sad. Everyone is throwing everything online as if it's in person. I think we're going to see redefinition of what online ministry looks like beyond just streaming worship, streaming kids, streaming streaming youth. There's a lot of people that are wrestling with things like, what is it? I mean, the family's in a mess in America. This 30-day this lockdown I mean, there's a lot of people that are rediscovering their family like never before, and there's also a rise, 800% rise in mental illness right now in people calling. There's sadly in Texas, we've got a, we're we're seeing a spike in child abuse. We're seeing a spike in women abuse. I mean, wife abuse. This is horrible, but we're also seeing people rediscover family, and I think it's an opportunity for the church to speak into. Do you lead your family or does you, the, the schedule that you choose for your family lead your family? Or how, how important are sports? Are they really that important that you never can spend time with your family? You're so busy in all the leagues, all the extracurricula. I'm telling you, I think you're going to see families fall apart and also solidify during this period. And anyone that is not talking about family issues They're missing it right now. We don't see it. It's like this huge forest and it's all around us. Jeff, it goes to your point about thinking beyond what you said, ministry in the future. I think one of those areas we need to stop and think about is family. Our counseling ministry is booming. It's booming. I think people need help, not just in terms of, okay, how do we get along? And we got this issue we've got to deal with. Forget restructuring the church. I think we need to restructure our families who owns our time, what does leadership look like? I'm telling you, this is a big issue.
2: Yeah, we're finding the same thing. In fact, one of the things I'm praying for regularly is that we would see house, household revivals, that households would oh, be re- revived. Yeah, yeah. and because I, I, think, I think if we see that happen, all the work we're trying to do as leaders in the church is constantly being undermined by the fact that at home, it's not being lived out. Mm-hmm. And so now we're we're in a in a state where people either Bob I agree with you I'm seeing marriage problems I'm just, you know parents are right, waking up to the reality that we don't we've never really done anything intentionally around discipleship in our home and so all those needs are re, really in front of them and I think leaders uh, pastors things that you can do is really give tool give tools like how do you read your Bible with your family how do you have a conversation at the dinner table. For us, we're trying to provide a liturgy that they can walk through in their home on Sunday, so they have their own worship time together. They take communion together. They they practice being the church in home. And I know for me as a pastor, I'm, I'm probably pastoring my family better than I've ever done because I'm not running around on Sundays for everybody else. I'm with my family, and uh, which is a real gift I'm getting to enjoy. So I'd say pastors enjoy this. Like You yourselves live the example that you want others to live. Uh, you have a great opportunity to settle in your home but uh, you're going to need to help people do that. And we, we've created office hours as well, like virtual office hours that people can sign into to get counseling if they need it, to pray with somebody. So we all of our elders in our church have agreed to a certain number of hours a week that they're willing to have office hours online where someone can say, I need to meet with a pastor, I need to meet with an elder, I, my, my wife and I aren't doing well, or I need some counsel on how to handle the situation at home. And I think, Bob, like what you said, we're seeing more relational ministry in a lot of cases now than before. The other thing we did that I, I'd encourage you to do is create a space for your whole church to engage with each other. So we're using Facebook. We created a group. Uh, we called it Docs Needs. So that people can just make their needs known. And, we, and I just keep saying, you know, it's not about me or a few others meeting your needs. It's about we as the body meeting each other's needs. So press in when someone says there's a need. And the, the statement we made was, no known need goes unmet no known need goes unmet, that which means everybody needs to start making their needs known or we can't care for each other so there's a responsibility to make your need known and then to make sure we take care of the need the body's taking care of the need like i've had a lot of people ask what are you doing about benevolence i'm like we're just trying to mobilize the whole church to say start sharing your resources start giving away money take care of each other's needs when someone loses a job we step in and help them so there's just ways like that that we as leaders are on the front lines of equipping people in ways maybe we didn't have to before. So uh, the other thing, pastors, I encourage you to do is, you know, stay, continue to be in the word, be in prayer. I mean, you're feeling helpless because you can't do anything, and you're in, put in the best position possible because the most powerful thing we always could do was pray. So are you praying for your people? God's, like Bob said, God can save somebody in a jail cell. Jesus can show up at any moment. He doesn't need you in that sense. But man, he hears your prayers. So pray for your church, pray for your people.
3: It's so much of a re- revisioning of the time um, where I'm not in front of folks anymore. I'm not, I'm not delivering the ministry. Um, and I'm just repeating this Bob, I'll let you go here in a sec, but just several <laughs> of the questions that are coming in on what, how, how do I lead well, or how do I make the best use of time? And so I just want to recap in case folks haven't been kind of uh, tying these things together, but how do how to use the time? Well, pray. Trust God, even if I can add one to, to you guys, see what God is stirring in you, what you're being convicted of. If you can't pray and trust God, see, see what that that means as far as us as leaders going like, oh, if I really think I have to be the guy and my church can't exist without me, like this is a great, hard moment of sanctification for us. Um, but pray. And then, then how do we use our time shepherding in prayer for people, with people? Truly being the the pastor, the shepherd, equip them for for family worship, family leadership, family discipleship, meeting needs, sharing the gospel in, in small groups is kind of what you guys have said. Like, what, what are our priorities? That's what I heard you guys say. Anything you'd add to that? Or Bob, you can keep going on what you're going to say.
1: I would say for some cultural context, being an American is great. We're very pragmatic people. We're process oriented. One, two, three, how we do things. That's what's made our country what it is. Is Mm -hmm. the tragedy is there's some good things that that's brought to the church, but it's some very bad things it's brought to the church. And the church was never meant to be a corporation or a business. And let's just be candid, it's become that. I'm not saying people with impure hearts said, Let's go out and make money. It's let's use the methods of the world to grow the church. And the church isn't a business, it's a family, it's the body of Christ, it's organic, and it's the priesthood of the believer, like Jeff said. And I think it's an opportunity to redefine the question, what does it really mean to be a pastor? I mean, you really ought to ask that question. Guys, you do realize, I mean, I, when I was preaching all the time, minimum of 20 hours a week on my sermon, all right? But, but think about it. The thing that gave me the biggest bang for ministry really was not the 20 hours in that sermon, but the 20 hours I was with people. And so I think the question you need to ask is, in, in reorganizing my time, who am I with? And it starts with God, with worship. And then what does God called me to do? And what does he call this body to do? And then he's given me this laptop for now. What happens if Zoom goes down or internet goes down? He's given me this for now. So what does that look like to Jeff's initial question? What are the innovations? What are the opportunities? I've been on the phone with a lot of old people. I'm 62, but I'm not old. I'm on the phone with people. <laughs> up. I'm on the phone with people in their 70s and 80s, checking on all the old people to make sure that that they're hanging in there. Do you know how lonely they are? Even Christians, they feel forgotten. I mean, they feel like, man, I can't bring any value. You know, I just hope I don't get sick. And I think back to your thing, Jeff, about pastoring your family. If I'm not mistaken, Paul writes in. in uh, you know, the pastoral epistles, and there's something in there about uh, leading your own family well. What What does that look like? So I just look at what's going on, and I think it's not just a chance to redefine the church. It's a chance to redefine the pastorate, and I never fit in as a pastor to begin with. Jeff, you and I are a lot alike. We've talked about this. We're apostolic leaders. You know, we build a church around the mission of Jesus, not the Sunday event. And so it's hard for people to grasp with that. Those of you that are apostolic, this is your moment. Because no matter how hard we try to educate and re-educate, it's hard to do. It's hard to do because people are so predisposed with the master, with a western, I'm the pastor teacher. That's what it's about. No, it's it's not. And when it's pushed down to engaging your city, engaging the public square. I mean, what an opportunity to redefine evangelism. For years, I've said pastors tweet pastors too much. Mm. The whole world is listening to you. What a chance to talk about Jesus in new ways. Yeah. And, and they're not really, I'm telling you, new Christians are listening. But the problem with most of us is evangelicals, they view that as a Republican thing. A political thing not a Jesus thing what a moment we have to to speak differently
3: yeah 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 I want to
2: I want to just briefly touch on that too Uh, people are watching people are listening and Mm. we have got to be wise about our conversations and then we've got to be take advantage of the opportunity I'm actually having open doors with people I've been trying to reach for a couple years And all of a sudden, you know, they're, they're pushing in. They're interested. They're asking questions. And so we've got to realize we've been talking to ourselves far too long and in ways that are very destructive to the gospel and the witness of Jesus. And we've got to, we've got to like be wise about those conversations and take advantage of the opportunity God's opened up now. I think, uh, because people are leaning in, they are listening. And I think the way we handle ourselves online, the way that we interact with them is a great opportunity for the gospel.
1: Jeff and I, Matt Carter, uh, were in uh, Uzbekistan recently, and uh, 23 million people there, just a smattering of Christians, and uh, we were frankly there for a geopolitical event dealing with issues of religious freedom and so forth. Matt uh, Carter made the statement to me after the second day, I said, how you doing, Matt? Because it's a little overwhelming if you, I mean, we were with nothing but non-Christians pretty much for the most part. And the government. And he said, You know, Bob, what's crazy is I've probably shared the gospel more in the last 24 hours than I have ever in my entire life. And what's crazy, they're asking me. They're asking me, and I just can't stop. Now I want you to take that and I want you to just step back a minute. 23 million people, primarily not Christians in Uzbekistan, and these are government leaders and others that are asking about Jesus. You live in America, 320 million people. At least a couple of hundred million, at a minimum, are non-believers. They're not Republicans, for sure. Just let that sink in. And yet we live inside our religious bubble so much. What would your conversations look like if you really knew that non-Christians were listening? And don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I'm not saying there's not Democrat Christians. There are. I'm friends with tons of them. All I'm saying is, a lot of times the hard right, Republican, how I was raised, we have so identified politically in one realm that we have forgotten the gospel is for everybody. And that changes the way we talk in the the public square. And sometimes we don't realize that
3: want to keep going on this, and it, it actually starts to address some of the questions that we're getting coming in so as we pivot to, to Q&A from, from participants. Um, one of the questions is, what would you say to someone um, who has really never never, never turned the church out, outward, never really released the church? Um, you mentioned kind of, both of you mentioned, as, as the church goes kind of back, um, hopefully it won't go back to normal. And so what would you say to some maybe first-time pastors who are wondering about, like, Releasing the church and and not going back to a building focus, um, not neglecting the disciple making of this season, What will be some kind of first steps. You would have them take.
2: Well, I, I think I'd ask first: Are they interacting with them? You know, are they talking to their people? Because if they're not, that's you know, first of all start start having the conversation. And if you're going to do some teaching now, here's the time to teach on the nature of the the ecclesia, the church uh, scattered as the gathered people of God so you might have to do some training, um, use your, whatever virtual means you are using to speak to your church. Now is a great time to help them understand their identity. When you're, you're taking them through first Peter chapter two, um, or you're going to Ephesians four, but, you know, helping them see that, that this is the nature of the church oh, since Jesus' resurrection. And so the, this isn't a new thing, but maybe, and you might need to repent, you know, like, you might need to yourself go, uh, I, I believe that church was a building and an event. And, and I, I got a lot of kudos around that because everyone came to hear me or come around me and I want to repent of that church. And God's leave like, I think this is a time where God's going to lead many of us into repentance in a lot of forms, but I think this is one of them. Uh, and I know I've had to repent because I'm speaking to a camera now. I don't get to play off, you know, I'm a, I enjoy the feedback of people enjoying my teaching, and there's an ego there that I have to die to in terms of my own selfishness and pride, and so I have to repent of that. And so there's going to be repentance, probably, that pastors are going to have to engage in with the people, training and teaching them to really embrace who they are, and then probably like asking them, what is the Spirit putting on your heart as you pray, and ask God, what what would you have me do in this season? Give them a space to process that, and maybe if they can process that in a public forum, we've created a, the Facebook group so people can talk, you know, process it out loud with one another. You know, typing, of course, but uh, or video, and and see what happens because the spirit's gonna stir. The spirit's got all. He's not wondering how to do this. Uh, we're just standing in the way. And um, in a lot of ways, our repentance is getting out of the way, and our equipping is helping people step in the way of the spirit, and then the spirit's gonna lead them. So I think it's gonna be some of those things. Uh, and then, make sure you you highlight it when you see it. you know what part of your job is to fan and to flame what the spirit's going to be doing. So you see people start to step out. you you encourage them, you celebrate that. All leaders know this. Whatever you celebrate publicly, people believe you actually value. It's the thing you care about the most. So pay attention to what you're celebrating because you know, all you're celebrating is, man, we you know we went from three hundred people or one hundred people on our Sunday gathering. and now we got three thousand listening online. They're still going to hear you say it's about you. and I want people yeah. listening to your preaching. But when you start celebrating the saints doing the work of the ministry that oftentimes never gets noticed, then they're going to start believing, Oh, it's not all about our pastor and his message and us getting everybody to listen in on him. All you're doing is fanning the wrong flame in that, in that situation. So those would be some things I'd encourage you to start doing.
1: Nobody's going to gripe about preaching good at your church. So a lot of times a guy asked me, who's trying to transition his church. And, and uh, I was brainstorming. I have a couple of different cohorts of pastors that I mentor and, uh, I, I told him, I said, you know, I might do a series on, on what I learned from all this when we come out of this, but I don't know I'd do that. I, I think probably it would be on love, It'd be love. I'd probably do a whole series on love. And I, Jeff, I love what you said about repenting. That is so good. I mean, to stand up and say, guys, we don't love good. You know, your church is more with you when you stand up and you acknowledge it ain't what it ought to be than any other time. This idea about standing up, you know, the great savior of the church, they're with you more when you're broken than when you're, quote, successful. And if you can stand up and say, we got to love God, we got to love one another. And what does it mean to love? Let, let, let's talk about this Jesus thing in love and how that impacts the church. Guys, we got to go back into community. We've all learned community. God help you if you don't recognize the moments to preach to, because look at that to speak about love. We're going to love and we're going to love in our groups. We're going to love in and how we serve. And what Jeff said is huge. The worst thing preachers can do is to come up with ideas to serve their community right now. And it needs to be our members came up with this. I love what you said, Jeff. I just ditto everything.
2: We think about going back when things supposedly go back to normal, which I don't think they ever will. I think we have a new day in front of us. So if you, if you want it to be what it was, it won't be ever. I, I think everything's going to change from this point on. You know, people are talking about, like, we're never going to shake hands again or whatever it may be. Things are not going to go back to normal. And that, that could be a, a thing you mourn and you probably should, but it's also a thing we ought to celebrate. And yeah. w- what I would say is right now is a great opportunity to get people to practice the loving one another in community and we're trying to just like learn from Wesley, you know, and the, the movement, the Wesleyan revival, in terms of they had the bands, which is the, you know, like three to five people getting together regularly for deep heart level transformation. They had uh, the classes, which is like small groups, or what we call them mission fees. And then they had the societies, so you know, 50 to 70 people. And they really, and those were all led by lay people. Those were not led by clergy, by professional pastors, by paid staff. And if we can teach our people how to live in those zones, Virtually, for now, learn how to do that now without needing to, to depend on us to do everything. When we get on the other side of this, we're going to have a, a force that's equipped. And then we want to be careful to not just swing back to what we used to be. Let's fan that into flame and keep it going because I think that has a great potential for the saints to do the work of ministry as we move back. So I'm, one thing we're talking about here is it could be 18 months of, of what we're talking, what we're experiencing right now. They might say churches still can't gather in groups larger than 50, you know, or whatever. So are you thinking pastors through how to lead your church through a year or more of this reality? And I would say hopefully 10, 20, 30 years of it, if we're wise in terms of like what it could do for disciple making. If we just go, if we think we're going to go back to gathering in big buildings real quickly, you've, you've, you're probably not paying attention. Like that's probably not going to happen right away. And even if it does, people are going to be afraid. I agree with Bob, a lot of people want to come back together, but they're still going to have the fear of like, man, I don't want to get sick. So we're going to have to think through all these things and prepare our people for how to be disciples in a new context.
3: Yeah. And on the positive, it's going to be thing. And this gets to a couple of the questions. What do you mean not back to normal? What's going to remain? It's going to be these things. People are going to realize if we, if we do the good work now. Um, that they have a place to play, they have a role to play. And so hopefully this, the, there's going to be some like hard things to not come back to. Um, people are going to be a little bit more hesitant, a little bit more wary, but the good side of, of what won't come back is the feeling like, oh, now I can just... You know, take off, take off my wartime gear and just go back into sitting. Um, people are going to realize, people are realizing um, across many cities, they're having more people come out to volunteer than they have needs for. Um, and and that's never happened before. And so people are realizing they have a part to play. And so those are some of the things that aren't going to go back to normal. Could,
1: could I just say real quick, Ben, Jeff said this at the very beginning when we started out, simplify, simplify, simplify. You know, guys, I'm going to be candid with you. I've kind of been quiet, except for Twitter. On social media, I've not done a lot of podcasts, or done a little bit, but not that much. And I'm not giving a bunch of recommendations. I see a lot of that right now. There's a lot of people that are rushing. Boy, this is our moment. This is our space. Get out there. Yada, yada, yada. Sometimes I think the most spiritual thing you can do is just be quiet and just listen. And, And I think some of these questions that you're asking, look. I know Jeff's, you know, believes in the Holy Spirit. I do too. I'm a big Holy Spirit guy. I don't apologize for that. I mean, what gifts do I have? All of them. I mean, I'm, I'm a big believer in that. You can't do the nut stuff that I do and not have your whole arsenal of spiritual gifts available. Let's just listen. And, and what the Holy Spirit tells you to do may be different from what he tells me to do or Jeff to do. I like Derwin Gray. I'm always trying to get Derwin to go crazy places with me in the world. And he told me not long ago, he said, Bob, I got my own calling too. And I said, yeah, you do. And, and that's important. God is going to say different things to some of you. Yeah. but Guys, it is simple. I'm telling you, the church doesn't grow around the world because there's this toolkit for how to start a church planting or disciple, shape, disciple making movement. That does not exist. It's far simpler than we can imagine. It really is loving the Holy Spirit living through us, reading divine moments, and and And, recognizing, oh, my word, that's what this is about. and And it's just like family. How many of you have really thought about deeply about what maybe what God's saying is, what is the home like? I mean, just just think about that. I wasn't thinking that way, and somebody brought that to my attention. So, It's not going to be as complicated, but your listening ability to hear the voice of God is going to be everything during this period. That's why you don't need to pray because, boy, I need to get that discipline into my life. You need to pray because you need to be hearing from God. And if you do not develop keen listening skills, you're going to miss it.
3: We're going to move through some questions kind of in rapid fire. So there's two that have been asked and answered. I'll repeat them for the sake of the recording. What do you do if you are apostolic, Um, referencing something you guys talked about a little bit ago, but you're serving in an associate role and your church leaders not using this time to serve community or engage. And so uh, Jeff's answer was do it yourself. Uh, lead by example Um, don't try to get others to do it yet just let them see your life and the fruitfulness of ministry so essentially lead by example in the things that you trust that jesus is calling you to i know you well enough to say you'd say make sure you're doing it in submission don't 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 go rogue on your leader but that's one and then the other there's been a couple questions about this we get to praise god for this a school in mexico or somebody else posted just people come to jesus on on easter or during this season um, God doesn't need us to be able to leave our houses to work to the points that have already been made. So, what do you what do you recommend that our church do to start uh, new people down the road of, of brand new believing discipleship? Uh, Jeff, answer they they need to be connected with other Christians virtually. Uh, for their discipleship, part of our job is to connect them with folks who can disciple them. and then I would add in back to something Bob referenced earlier, like we have the spirit of they, they have the spirit of God. It's not mature yet. They, they don't know what it looks like to fully listen and press in. Um, but but that doesn't mean the Spirit's not speaking to them. They have the scriptures, they have the spirit of God, and so they they get to be discipled by Jesus and you get to come alongside and enter into that. Um, anything else briefly that you guys would add into either of those questions? Guy's apostolic and the first steps for new believers.
2: I think the apostolic one. I would the one thing I would say is um, whenever people say I'm apostolic, the, the question I always ask is like, "So what are you doing?" Because the idea if you're apostolic, you're not you, you're not like wondering what to do right now. You're like you're one of the people who's actually able to create. A, God gives apostolic leadership to the church to think about how do we mobilize the church out in this moment. And generally, you're wanting to do it yourself, not just wanting others to do it. That's the nature of an apostolic calling, is you want to go out. You want to see the extension of the church into places maybe it's never gone before. And so I would just be, you know, just do it. And if you are, you are. And if you aren't, then that's fine. Be who God made you to be and do what the Spirit's leading you to do. But one thing I would just say is don't try to get the church to do something that you're not doing. So lead by example. So that was really what I wanted to say there. On yeah. the, the person people come to faith on Easter, they are going to need, they need the basics. So just give them the basics, make sure they have a Bible, make sure they know how to pray and then, you know, follow up and make sure they're doing those things, ideally in community if possible. Again, it's really, it's more simple than we think. We have so com- made it complex. So Bob's just done a great job of making
3: that thing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, to that same question, um, how do you keep discipleship? Since we are more virtual, we're, we're less able to kind of you know put things into practice or re- literally walk with folks in community. How do we keep discipleship in this season from just devolving into head knowledge? How do we how do we keep the in and out as well as kind of the up?
1: I think serving people. I mean, I think what you've got is what an incredible moment. See, no, I, I would challenge people not to think about discipleship. And I think the guy, whoever asked that question, it, they, get, they get this. But I, because of the way they ask the question, it's not just head knowledge. And only in America do we take a Greek model and redefine it as discipleship. It's following. Uh, our theme at Northwood this year is follow me. Don't tell anybody, but a lady actually came up with it. And what she does in that, that's literally what Jesus says. Follow me. And so what does that mean? Anything that he says does. So you can have a great disciple who reads their Bible, prays, memorizes scripture, but doesn't share their faith, doesn't serve people. What I discovered many years ago, and I never understood this, I thought you did discipleship so that people could minister. Uh-uh. Ministry is a part of discipleship. And, and even missions, that's where you learn to hear God's voice, the keenest this is the truth. The older I get, the more charismatic I get. I don't mean that's so charismatic, but I mean all the gifts and hearing God's voice because I've discovered God speaks in real time. And there's a big shift. I would just say this to you listening to this because you disciple others. You'll see the biggest shift in your personal discipleship when you worship early in the morning because you know you've got to hear God throughout the day. You want to experience him and then those specific things begin to happen and you recognize this is a God moment. Man, when I'm overseas and when I'm here, I'm constantly, this is a God moment. This isn't just something that happened. This isn't a door. This is a God moment. How do I respond to that? I think that's a big deal.
2: In the basic just discipleship uh, direction of read the Bible, invite the Holy spirit to lead, ask God, what are you saying to me? And then what do you want me to do as a result? Mm-hmm. Like that's, that's how you go from head to, to uh, hands, you know, and so uh, it really is. I mean, part of our problem is we haven't taught people how to obey the word. We just taught them how to, to know the word. And so I think if you haven't done that, now's the time to teach them how to obey God's word. The word is very clear on what to do in this situation. The Bible is clear on what to do. Uh, we just got to lead them back to the word with the spirit and then invite them to obey the word that they're reading. And obviously very creative forms, but the spirit of God is not dumbfounded. <laughs> He's got all the creativity he needs.
3: Yeah. And somebody goes back to, we even talked about this, Brad and I, on last week's uh, last week's conversation of what is it like to to interact just over a different venue. Um, you know, like, so Paul's Paul's New Testament letters were, were that, they were letters, they were discipleship tools that took weeks or months to get to places. And we only had Zoom over the last couple of uh, you know, months and as a, a top priority in this kind of stuff, and so to another question, what's it like to share not only the gospel of God but our lives as well? You're, you're both typing answers to other questions right now, so I'll, I'll take this one, but yeah, it's really going like, hey, we've got all these other creative venues. Um, phone calls turns out are are really important right now and, and we can be more present even if we can't be physically in each other's rooms. The points already been made like we can look each other in the eye, maybe more throughout the day. Um, And pastors can be more accessible to to our people, quote, unquote, God's people during this time. And so it's just finding those creative ways um, to to, to be in each other's lives, even if we can't be in the same room. This is a discipleship question. How do you correct folks who are maybe reaching out to others, uh, but they have underformed theology or, or poor doctrine or this kind of stuff? They're trying to serve, but maybe they're not ready, but they're doing it anyway. How do you disciple that person?
2: I mean, the way that Jesus did it was, I mean, his disciples had terrible theology, and uh, he still invited them into the ministry with him for three years. And so the the thing is that he just then pointed it out when he saw it, they they messed up so many times. And so it's like, you know, okay, the only way you're going to know they have bad theology is if they actually let them do ministry. And then you correct it when, it, you know, ideally in front of the people if they did it wrong with or tell them to go back. Hey, I, I messed up on this one. Then you'll be teaching them repentance and you, you teach them the nature of grace. Like all the things that they need to learn can't be learned apart from them doing ministry and failing. And all the people that are on this call right now have all failed miserably in ministry at some point. And God still allows us to enter into this reality and his grace is sufficient. So, I just encourage you, don't don't keep the, their immaturity, don't let the immaturity keep them from growing. Think of discipleship as spiritual parenting. I, my kids did a lot of things wrong and still do as they're growing up, but I'm walking with them through it and correcting where necessary and redirecting where needed. And so just to encourage you, that is what discipleship is. And unfortunately, because we've been taught, once you get out of seminary, you're now qualified and you can do ministry, which is absolutely not the way of Jesus. Uh, then what happens is we think you've got to have enough knowledge to do ministry. And it's like, no, it's the other way around. You do ministry to gain the ongoing knowledge and to see where you're, you're falling short and what you don't know. But that's why you're doing in community. And then people can correct and readjust you as needed. So don't let that prevent people from doing it, but don't let them do it alone in isolation. Correct and redirect where needed.
1: I'm fascinated by the uh, thief on the cross that winds up accepting Jesus. And if you read all the Gospels, at first in Matthew, he's reviling Jesus along with the other guy. And then you get all the the way to the point in Luke where he says, uh, you know, don't you realize this is the son of God? I'm big into theology. He gives no good creed. Uh, He's got tons of life issues. And yet he's the first person to enter paradise with Jesus. Just think about that. And I've thought about people I've led to the Lord. Who can articulate the doctrine of the Trinity, let alone, forget a new Christian, let alone an older believer. So I I would say, give a lot of grace. That's had a huge impact on my evangelism. Let people come to Jesus messed up with their questions undeveloped. That's what discipleship is, clarifying those things. Here's what I would also say. I'm convinced that there are some people that you're correcting, it's purely innocent. There are others, it's not. And what I would say in those situations, when when it's somebody who you've had conversations with, don't be afraid to deal with those people. I think they've been given way too much latitude in the church. And the result is they introduce unhealthy life, unhealthy ministry. And so if it's someone who's got a beef or some agenda, and say, don't be afraid to deal with that. I got deep into this concept of false wolves and prophets and everything else. And And I think we need to deal with that. And I think two things I've learned about leadership. The first part of my ministry was leadership by vision. Let's all have a good time. We're going to do this. The other was leadership by obedience, doing what Jesus said. Sometimes there's conflict, there's cost involved, but that's what's going to keep the church long-term healthy. I think that's where we are right now. It's leadership by obedience. The whole church is being defined. So our first question need to be not, how can I grow our church through this? Our first question needs to be, God, what do you say? And that's a lot harder way to lead. It's a lot easier to come up with a pragmatic system and just, here we go to the next level versus what is the real next level for Jesus?
3: Yeah, there's a couple questions that just popped in, but but let's end with this since we're kind of at the end of our time. Um, Would either of you have a word of encouragement to pastors who are discouraged and down with all these shifts?
1: I, I would say dang, you ought to be excited. You're living at one of the most historic moments in the history of humanity. Oh my gosh, what is God saying? What is he doing? What is he saying to you? What are the opportunities that are gonna come? Oh my gosh, thank God that you're alive right now. And what does he wanna do to reformat you, your family, your church, your city, the world? how is it going to change everything? So I would say just thank God that you get to live in a historic time. First thing I'd say. Second thing I would say is we pastors don't, we like to preach sermons on, on this, but we don't want to live it. Walk by faith. God's going to give you every answer, every need, everything you've got. Just just trusting. And, and what is this stuff about following Jesus is just my life's going to be a piece of cake. No, it's not. I feel sorry for Paul. He wrote all those principles of financial prosperity, and at the end of his life, he's broke. If only he would have trusted God for more and given a little bit more seed offering. Look what God could have done in his life. I'm I'm being facetious, guys. I'm teasing you. It's a time to walk by faith. And who says it's going to be a piece of cake? Joy? is having peace with God and confidence and enthusiasm when all hell is breaking loose. You get a chance to do that. Welcome. Welcome to the kingdom of God.
2: Amen. I don't have to say a whole lot more. I would just say that the history of the world and Christianity is that the church thrives most in persecution and suffering, that Christians are most purified in their faith and sanctified to become more like Christ when there's no other reason to really follow than the fact that he's worth it. and so i just I just encourage you, like this is an incredible opportunity for the church to thrive and for the bride to be purified, for our faith to grow. we We all preach this. Your faith becomes stronger in these situations, not weaker. So anticipate, the, the growing and strengthening of your own faith and the faith of the people that God's given you and and just wait and see what God's going to do. If I, if I could, one of the thing I will say that was Australia, like, what do I do with all my time, be careful not to just get busy trying to solve every problem or put yourself in every situation. I'm seeing some people pastors frantically and maybe narcissistically trying to be in everything. And it's like, you know what? Rest. Yeah. Rest. In the Lord, man, like he's got this. He knows what he's doing and he doesn't need you to be everything. Be you, anticipate him doing more than you could ever ask or imagine. Walk by faith, not by sight, and watch what he's going to do. I mean, Jesus is going to be magnified and glorified in this. I am confident of that. This is a worldwide deal. The entire world is going through this together. What's up? God's going to do something. And so he already is, but. Just wait, man. I think we've just begun to see what he's going to bring about. So pray, trust, rest, and then wait on him. And do what he says, but don't try to do more, man. He doesn't need you to be God. He's got it.
1: Hey, just on that point of rest, I've told some of our pastors, I'm old enough to remember when we got computers, and the idea was we'll be able to do 40, 60 hours a week and 20 hours. We didn't. We just did more. And then we got the iPhone. It's going to change your life. I'm concerned that after this, we've discovered we can make a lot of decisions without going to meetings and being around people. One of my biggest concerns is there's going to be a boomerang effect, and we're going to wind up busier than we've ever been in our lives. Not to catch up, but once that's done, it's going to be, oh my gosh, look at what we could do. Jeff, I just agree with you about the rhythm in our life is not sustainable. It's no wonder we've got the highest divorce rate in the world. It is not sustainable. And I, I think that's one of the things God said to us as Americans.
3: Rest.
2: Good work. Yeah, you get the opportunity right now to set new rhythms. Yeah. What do you want your life to be like? Here we go. <laughs>
3: There's a lot more we could say on all of this, and we have some other <clears throat> resources on for pastors uh, struggling with discouragement, for discipleship in everyday life. Saturate has just just dozens and dozens of, of resources for things like that uh, that we hope could continue to serve you. Um, you can access through Saturate membership. So, the slides on the screen, but Saturatetheworld.com/membership. If there's other resources um, to help you in this COVID-19 season, we're not experts by any means, but uh, but Saturate's done a long history of equipping everyday Christians for decentralized ministry and mission and community, applying the gospel to our hearts and things like fear and worry and other unbeliefs, disbeliefs that are so common in this season. Uh, we have a COVID-19 page up at saturatetheworld.com as well. But that wraps up this Saturate. So thanks, Bob. Thanks, Jeff. And thank you to all of you for tuning in. We'll see you at the next one. Love you guys. Love you.
0: Today's podcast was edited by Ben Fort, and our theme music is written and performed by the band Mopac. Saturate's hope is to see one missional community for every 1,000 people in every city as we see the glory of God fill every person, every place, and every church. We participate in this vision by curating resources, training, coaching, consulting, and many more ways. Find out more at
1: saturatetheworld.com.